So we are starting a new series this week. Uh, it's called Stand By Me. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Stand By Me? That's where the, that frame is. Like, Stand By Me, it's funny because Stand By Me for my generation, I feel like is Stranger Things, what Stranger Things is for your generation because it's, it's a bunch of like middle school age kids from my parents' age, right? Like from the late 50s kind of age. And so... Um, so I, I identified them with them, but my parents also identified with them. In the same way with Stranger Things, like my kids and you guys identify with those middle school kids, but I identify with them because I was that age in the, in the 80s, right? So, so I identify with it in a nostalgic way, and you guys identify with it in a current way. And so with Stand By Me, it was like that. But the other thing, the main thing about Stand By Me, like the, the idea of the movie and, uh, and the story, is that sometimes we have friends that are like the closest friends we ever have. And some of you have those friends right now, and you don't even know it yet. You don't even know it yet. Like when I look back at my friends in middle school, and, and how we felt about each other and what we would, you know, how we would stand up for each other and take up for each other. There was, there was a connection there that I've never had again in my life. And that, that's a sad thing. But it's also kind of cool because um, he says, does anybody, ever have the, does anybody ever have friends as good as the friends that they have when they're 13 years old? And it's like, yeah, that's, that's so true when you're 12 and 13 years old. So but what I wanted us to do is look at not just that idea of friendship with each other, but I believe that God wants to have a relationship with you that's closer than the relationship that you have with Him. I believe He wants to stand by you. And He wants you to stand by Him. He wants to be a friend to you, right? Um, and I believe Proverbs 18.24 uh, there at the top where it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know that's not talking about God, but I believe that in your life, that's what God wants to be. He wants to be the one who's there when everybody else is gone. Now, I want, you to, I want to clarify that. God doesn't need you to be his friend. It's not God going, oh, I wish they liked me. That's not it. God's saying, I'm offering you this friendship. Take it, because I'll be the best friend you ever have. So look at this. Uh, there's a couple of verses there, Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14, James 4, 8. We're not going to look those up, but I want you to look at those later. And both of those are talking about that if we draw near to God, God draws near to us. When we, when we seek Him, we will find Him. And I think that's an interesting promise to have, that the God, the creator of the universe, is saying that if you reach out to me, I'm going to reach back to you. Like, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Because there's nothing worse, right, than writing a note to somebody. Some of you have done this before to a guy or to a girl. Like, do you like me? Check one, yes or no. Right? Like, those, those kind of things. I guess you probably texted it. But uh, anyway, and you do that, and then you get back the no. Or I, I, I remember my friend Brad one time did that. It wasn't me. It was my friend Brad. It wasn't me. I'm saying, and he did that, and he sent it to the girl, and she looked at it, she unfolded it, and looked at it, and looked up, made eye contact with him, and went like this, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> that was my heart, um, being ripped in half, 
so, but those are great. The idea that God wants to have a relationship with us. Look at that Psalm 119.9. Who would like to read that? Psalm 119.9. Who, read it for me. I saw that first. Ooh, almost caught you by surprise. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. For I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Bless you are, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Very good. So, so that's, that passage is talking about, it's talking about seeking God, but it's talking about seeking God a specific way through his word. And I think a lot of times we neglect this. And there's reasons why, and I want to get into that in a second. But we neglect the Bible, and we, we kind of think God's going to show me, God's going to like open my mind and my heart to what He wants for me. And that's true, but this is how He does that a lot of times. Look at this. God stands by us through His Word. God stands by us through His Word. I have God right next to me right now. Like, I know He's everywhere, He's always here, He's omnipresent, but at the same time, I physically have Him right here. This is God's Word. This is what God wants me to know. Right? And then, look, we stand by God by spending time in the Bible. Now, I think there's a big reason why people don't spend time in the Bible. I, I think there's two reasons. One is we're lazy. We don't want to take the time. We don't want to do the work that it takes to build the relationship that we want to have with God. We want it to just happen. But understand, that's not the way that works. That's not the way it works with people either. You're not going to have a best friend by just showing up whenever you feel like it. You're not going to have a best friend by just taking what they give and not putting anything into that relationship. Right? So... If you want to have that relationship with God, you're going to have to put work in. So I think sometimes it's laziness. But I think the other thing that happens sometimes is we, have a, we live in a world that constantly attacks things of faith, and especially the Bible. Like I hear, most of the time when I hear someone attack Christianity, the first thing they attack is the Bible. They, don't, they either attack the Bible or they attack the way we act. They say we say one thing and do another but most of the time they attack the Bible. And they say a lot of things about it's not trustworthy, it's got all kinds of errors in it, it's got all kinds of discrepancies in it, how can you trust a book that disagrees with itself? And then a lot of times when I was growing up, people said that to me, and I went to my youth pastor, and I said, is that true? And he goes, no, the Bible is inerrant. Right? Some of you have heard that word before. But then I started reading the Bible, and I started realizing... No, there are a lot of discrepancies in here. There are a lot of things that don't match up. And so he's telling me there's no discrepancies, and I'm reading it and seeing there are, and so I began to lose my faith. So I want to tell you guys right up front, the Bible has a lot of discrepancies in it, but you can still trust it. So here we go. Let me go through. I'm going to go through a couple of things. Look at this. Can we trust the Bible? There are nearly a hundred numerical contradictions in the Bible. So when I say that, all right, so you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all telling the same story from different perspectives. So sometimes those narratives disagree on how many 
people were at something or how many days something was, right? In the Old Testament, you have First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and then you have a, a book called, first, uh, called Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. Those are parallel books. They're telling the same story. If you've ever read through the Bible, you know you read First, Second Samuel, First and Kings, and then you start First, Second Chronicles, and you're like, "Whoa, what happened? Am I in a time loop? All of a sudden, I'm back where I where I started from. How did this happen, right?" And they're both telling the same story. And what's crazy is, like in one, it'll say something like, like Solomon had 40,000 chariots. And in the other one, it says Solomon had 4,000 chariots. That's a big difference, right? Oops, something wrong there. All right, but look, there are also around, look at this, 220 name contradictions. So one story, it says this person named this, did this. And in another story, it says this person that did this, the person from this story, is actually named something different. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's crazy stuff. But it's in there. And then there's another hundred contradictions, hundred or so contradictions, in event specifics, where it'll say something like, this event happened at this place in this year, and someone else, and in another place it says this event happened in this in a different place in a different year. And so when we see those errors, we're like, oh, that's not good, right? That's not good. But there are reasons why those errors happen. Let me explain a little bit about how Hebrew scribes copied the Bible. When they would copy the Bible, they would unroll the scroll that they're going to copy, and they start scribing. They don't scribe the whole thing. They don't just read it and go, it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. They look at one letter at a time. They only write one letter at a time. They try not to look at whole words because words can distract them. So they look at one letter and they copy that letter. They look at the next letter and they copy the next letter. They look at the next letter and they don't think about what they're writing. They don't think about the words. They think about only the specific letters. They're trained and trained and trained to do that. When they finish a line, they go through and they count every stroke, every letter, every jot and tittle. That is what they, they're called, these little marks that they make. They count every one, and then they count the ones on the one they just copied, and they make sure they're exactly the same number. And then when they finish a whole section, they count the whole section again, and then they count their whole section so that they have the exact same number of characters and strokes. Like very, very, very meticulous. So you go, how do they have mistakes then? Well, because look at this. Some of the reasons for translational errors, right? One of them is sometimes the documents are in bad shape. Sometimes you've got a scroll. When you, do, when you have a scroll, you roll it up, right? Every time you roll it up, you're wiping the ink off of it. You're, you're making it lighter and lighter and fainter and fainter. And so sometimes you might have a scroll that's been rolled so many times that it's actually worn holes in it. Or maybe bugs got to it. And maybe there's one, one uh, stroke that's there that you can only see part of. And so you've got to try to make that same stroke. So sometimes you copy, because it would take them weeks and weeks and weeks to copy a book of the Bible onto a scroll. So 
So maybe this one is wearing out, and they go, oh, we need to get a copy made of this, and you're like, hey, I'm backed up for three months. So they keep using the scroll, and by the time you get it to copy, it's worn. And so it, it, a lot of times that was. Now, there's also Hebrew uh, character issues, numerical issues, right, alphabet issues. The Hebrew alphabet and the Hebrew number system are very, very different than our alphabet and number system. Like, our letters are all very different, although some of them are similar, like B and D are just switched, right? Um, G and Q, a lowercase g and a lowercase q, are kind of similar, just the tail goes a different way. So there are, we, we can see that, but their number system is much more like Roman numerals, right? Which we only use when we want to tell what Super Bowl it is, right? We, we don't use Roman numerals in every day. We don't use Roman numerals in your math class because that would be horrific, nightmarish, right? But that's how they use. So, so understand that in the Hebrew system, like if we're talking like XXI, right, for 21, and instead you do XXV, that's 25, right? Or what if you do something else? So it's different. And check this out. When we're talking about how weird the alphabet is, look at these two names. So Hemdan is referred to in Genesis 36:26. It's a guy who does a thing and they put his name in the Bible. When well, First Chronicles, they refer back to him to this situation and this person, but in First Chronicles, they call him Amran. Those names are very similar, right? Like, it would be easy to get mixed up. I'm sure Hemdon, every now and then, his mom would go, Hemdon, time for dinner, and Amran would show up because he thought it was his mom. No. Those are so different, right? Those are completely different names. But in Hebrew, look what they look like. <laughs> so look, look, they, three of the letters are exactly the same. This is the only one that's different, and the only difference is this one goes in a little bit, and this one goes straight down. So can you see how someone, a scribe who's copying, might write the letter a little different, and all of a sudden he's changed the name? Isn't that crazy? Now, now some of you are like, well, why didn't they just change it back? Because they don't know which one's the right one. And they would rather have it right one place and wrong the other than to change God. They're, they're so, they're so, it's so sacred to them. The text is so sacred that they won't change it back because they don't know when it got changed or what, which one got changed, right? So rather than change it... So here's the crazy thing. Think about this. All they'd have to do, if they didn't care about Scripture, if they didn't believe that Scripture was God-breathed, if they didn't believe that Scripture was sacred, all they got to do is change it and make it match. But we have, we have copies that are 1,700 years old that have this mistake in them, that have this discrepancy. They never changed it. And it probably goes back farther than that. But... Here's what's crazy about it. So we look at that and we go, oh, there's a lot of discrepancies. But look at this. Biblical scholars are certain of 
3% of the words in Scripture. They're certain that they are the original word and that they know what that word means. That's double layered. 97.3%, that's an A, okay? That's an A. That is excellent work right there. A book that's been copied over and over for almost 3,000 years, and yet 97% of it we know is probably, was probably part of the original book as it was recorded. And we know what those words are. We've, we've gotten those words down through history. And we have original manuscripts that are over 1,700 years old. I kind of mentioned that, but it's crazy. When they, when they wrote the King James Bible, so if you, if you know anything about King James, they wrote the King James Bible so that we would have a Bible in common English so that we could read the Bible. They thought it was important for every person to be able to have access to the Scriptures. When they wrote the King James Bible, the oldest manuscripts they had were around 800 A.D. That's why, remember last week when we were reading about the Ethiopian eunuch and we went from verse 16 to verse 18 and I said there's verse 17 is not included. Well, the reason verse 17 has a number is because it was in the King James Bible. In that translation from the 800s, it exists. But in the oldest translations we have, the ones from 2 and 300 A.D., that verse is not there. But they didn't have those translations when King James was making, when they were making the King James Bible. They came later. I believe that the original Bible, the original book, had no errors. I don't think there were any discrepancies. I don't think there were any mistakes. And the thing that you need to know beyond any doubt is that the Bible that we have right now has zero doctrinal differences, zero doctrinal discrepancies, where you have parallel chapters that are saying God says one thing over here and wants one thing done, and over here he wants something different. Every time we have parallels that involve doctrine, they all agree with each other. There's no discrepancies. Now you say, oh, but Jesus said there are things that he's fulfilling and things that are not, not, don't apply anymore and a new covenant and all these things. Yes, but that's what we call progressive revelation. That means that what God was doing, he is now moving forward with. Again, uh, we've talked about this before. It's just like your parents don't treat you now the way they treated you when you were one year old, right? Most of you, your parents are not going to come in here at some point and take you out to change your diaper, right? They're not going to, they, don't, they don't smack your hands and say, no, no, bad boy, right? Unless your parents are really weird, and maybe they do that. I don't know. And, and, and when you were two years old, your parents didn't go, you're grounded. You're not going out to the movies with your friends this weekend. Yeah, you weren't doing that anyway, right? You'd be like, nope, I'm not. <laughs> right? So, so progressive revelation means that God is changing through the Bible, but that doesn't mean that the doctrines are in disagreement. It means they're evolving. So look at this. Uh, For the Word of God is alive and active. We, I'm not going to read that because I've got to hurry. We're running out of time. But this is important to know that, that the Bible is an active, a living, active book. 
that God wrote it for us to be able to interact with Him. All right? And so I'm telling you guys, you need to start using this book. This book is valuable to you. It can change who you are. It can open uh, knowledge of God that you never had before. Every time I open this book, it changes the way I think about God. It's amazing to me. I think I know everything, and then I read a passage, and I'm like, how did I never see that before, right? So some of you, though, are like, well, I have a Bible app on my phone, but it's very confusing because I don't know what translation to use. I don't know if I should use ESV, NIV, RPLFTQ. You know, like, I don't know which one to use. I don't know what those letters mean. So let me explain. There's four kinds of Bible translations that, that are out there, and I want you to understand them. So what kind of Bible should you read? There's a transliteral Bible, transliteration. And that means it's the Bible word for word. Now, if you get that Bible, it will have English words, and below it, it'll have Greek or Hebrew words. And a lot of times, it'll read like a caveman wrote it, right? Because everything's out of order, because it's in the order that the original words were written. So, to the temple go must we, you know, that kind of thing. And so you're like, oh, okay, fire bad, me no like, right? Like, that's, it, it seems like that. So it's not a Bible that you would get if you want to read the Bible. It's a Bible you would get if you want to study the word origins and stuff like that. You want to dive deep. Most of you are like, no way, that's not where I am, right? And that's fine, right? But the next one is you can get a literal translation. Now, a literal translation is going to write literally what's being said, which sometimes is great and sometimes can be confusing because sometimes it's speaking in like idioms or types of speech. Like if I said to you that something was cool and then a thousand years from now somebody read that transcript and they're like, he is t he's explaining the temperature of it, right? You would go, like, no way, right? But a literal translation would put that he said, Chris said, that was cool, right? Even though that's not explained. Now, King James is a very literal translation, right? Uh, the ESV is an even more literal translation, so, but it's in modern English. So if you read the ESV, if you want really literal, you want to know what the Bible says literally, ESV is the way to go because it's going to give you those words pretty much exactly the way they're translated. All right? But then the other one is a dynamic translation. A dynamic... Tra that's right, right? Yeah, dynamic translation. So dynamic translation is where if it, ca if it said, Chris said, that was cool. Instead, it would say, Chris said, that was great. It would take out those idioms or it would put them into more acceptable idioms that would make sense to us, right? So that's like the NIV is, is really in the middle. It has both, but the NIV is a little bit more dynamic in its translation. So if you use NIV, that's, that's what you're going to find. And then the last one is a paraphrase. Now, a paraphrase is great if you just want to read the story of the Bible, but you don't want to know, like, specific words. You don't want to know exactly what... You want to read it more like you're reading Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Well, I used 
two Tolkien books. Why did I do that? But you want to read it like, like you're reading The Hunger Games, right? Okay? So you, it's a paraphrase, and so it's putting it, it might not even have verse numbers in it because it's just giving you a story. And a paraphrase is great if you just want to get the overview of what is, what is the Bible trying to say, what's the story of God in the Bible. Paraphrase is the way to go. All right? But here's the most important thing that I want you to take from this. Number one, God wants you to know Him. And He wants you to know Him through His Word. You can trust His Word and figure out which translation you want to use and start reading this week. Take some time and read your Bible. If you have a Bible app, you don't even have to read it. You can listen to it. It'll read it to you. So that's even better. Right? So... Uh, that's all. Let me close real quick. We're over time, and I want to pray. Lord, thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're showing us and what you show me every time I open your word. And Lord, I pray that the students here will take some time, find out who you are, and know that you want to stand by them, and they should stand by you. Lord, thank you for all you're doing in and through us and all you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.